Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. What is going on with this weather? We're a week away from spring and another cold front. I don't know, geez, you know, weather wise, this year 2023 is starting off annoying. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, and I'm really starting to think maybe um, I should be checking the horoscope, figuring out what's going on with the planets instead of checking the weather forecast every day. I don't know. Maybe that would be a little more insightful on what is going on. But anyway, hey there, plant friends and gardening people. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I am pretty dang excited about next week. This past week, it was kind of rough. And I totally blame the time change and having to get used to that. I just felt like I was kind of bumbling through the week, um, just kind of going from one task to another, like a big old fat bumblebee. I don't know. But next week, next Monday, the March 20th, is the official first day of spring. It's the spring equinox where we have an equal amount of daylight and darkness. So from here on out, we will get a little more daylight all through about late summer, and I love that. It is so nice having extended light in through the evening, and um, we're kind of creeping up on that, and I was able to spend several evenings out in my front yard um, just admiring my little blue bonnet patch. I was out there enjoying them, but also doing some weeding, because there is just a whole lot of broom rape out there. Broom rape is a non-native invasive plant that is also parasitic. It's this really cool looking plant. It just kind of pokes straight out of the ground. It has no leaves at all. It doesn't have any sort of green. And since it doesn't contain any chlorophyll, it can't make its own food through photosynthesis so it attaches to a host plant and siphons off water and nutrients um if you didn't catch the show last week i went into a whole lot of detail about broom rape and the trouble it causes so if you missed that show go back and listen to that if you're interested broom rape attaches to several different types of host plants including legumes and blue bonnets are legumes and this year i have a whole lot of broom rape popping up right in with my blue bonnets this is the first time i've come across broom rape and it's everywhere it's all throughout 
my blue bonnet patch and I really don't want it there. For one thing, you know, it's my blue bonnets. I love blue bonnets and I want them to look their best and I want them to set seed so that they can reseed and I can have blue bonnets again. So I can't really have some freeloading parasitic plants out there sucking all the nutrients away. Secondly, blue bonnets are legumes and legumes are nitrogen fixers. They are able to extract nitrogen out of the air and then they work with the soil biology and convert it to a type of nitrogen that plants can use. Whatever they don't use can stay in the soil and this helps future plants that grow in the next season. Nitrogen is one of the three main plant nutrients and is primarily responsible for leaf making and leaf growth. It's super important. So I want to enjoy both the flowers plus get some more nutrients into the soil. So there I was, I was out there this past week after work, um, just enjoying the evening, you know, out there admiring the blue bonnets and their sweet little scent and also pulling up broom rape. And uh, there is a crap ton of it out there. I'm not kidding. Um, just in like three days, I easily filled like a three gallon bucket of broom rape. Of all the invasive plants that I've dealt with, pulling up broom rape is easy. Um, I was worried about damaging the blue bonnets, like, you know, trying to yank on the plant and rip, end up damaging the blue bonnets. But for the most part, they came out pretty easy. They're pretty shallow rooted. And I kind of got the hang of it and just kind of got into a rhythm, um, being able to pull them straight out and getting the little root ball out. And I found it pretty satisfying and, you know, in relaxing my little evenings out there. I love being outside, especially at that time of day. And this time of year, there are just so many tiny little pollinators out in the patch enjoying the flowers, um, not just the blue bonnets. Um, there are several t teeny tiny flowers out in the lawn right now. Horse herb, plantain, henbit, chickweed, field matter. All these tiny little flowers are attracting small little insects. And uh, there, there's a, a whole bunch of different kinds. I'm not even sure what all kinds of bugs are out there. But there in the evenings, out there pulling the weeds, being out in the warm sun as it's starting to sink down into the horizon, it was kind of magical. Um, just all these little skipper butterflies and long-legged crane flies just would just kind of flutter up out of the grass as I was pulling up the broom rape. And it felt special. And I was really glad that if I had to be out there yanking up broom rape, at least I was had like a magical special moment. This cold spell is so annoying to me. 
Um, I had plans in my head that I was going to get to work in the garden this weekend and get all my little tomato seedlings transplanted. And I also wanted to start some warm season seeds because it's a big time of year for gardeners in Central Texas. There is just a ton of stuff that we can plant. And I know I have other chores I can do outside, but I wanted to get my tomatoes in the ground so that they could start growing in their permanent space. But I was looking at the forecast and the temperatures could get down into the mid twenties, which is dumb for this time of year. And it's kind of sketchy for tomatoes. And so I'm just going to hold off another week and I'll do other things. I can keep working on cleaning out beds and planning where I want to put things. But overall, mid-March makes me so happy because we can plant lots and lots of things in our gardens now. We can transplant tomatoes when it's safe, um, eggplants, peppers. We can direct sow tons of things to beans, beets, cantaloupes, Swiss chard, cucumbers, cool season and warm season greens. We can get up one last round of cool season greens in. We can start pumpkins, plant radishes, summer squash, winter squash, turnips, and pretty soon we can start watermelons. Springtime is also the time when we can um, plant some flowering bulbs. Ones that are gonna bloom in the summer and fall. For, you know, us regular gardening people, the word bulb is a bit of a catch-all type word for plants that have a way to store their own food underground. And that can mean a true bulb, like a tulip or a daffodil, but it can also refer to rhizomes, corms, and those plants with tuberous roots like daylilies and dahlias. All of these rhizomes, bulbs, corms, tuberous roots, they store their food underground and when the plant goes dormant, they can be lifted out of the ground and stored and then, or they can be moved. You know, you can separate them, divide them, plant them in other places, give them away they behave, you know, kind of like regular perennials where they return year after year. They may not come back from the exact bulb or division that you planted, but some of them uh, produce little babies under the soil and these little bulblets um, can be separated from the mother plant and they will grow and become full-sized. Since we are in a warmer part of the United States, we are in zone 8B, it gets a little too warm for a lot of the spring blooming bulbs to come back. We actually don't have a lot of variety of the more classic spring bloomers like daffodils and tulips. Those two especially need longer periods of winter cold temperatures in order to return year after year. 
they have a certain number of like chill hours that they need. And we just typically don't get enough of those. But, you know, there are um, some specific varieties of daffodils that do really well in Central Texas. And it's not hard to find out which varieties are recommended if you just go out to the Google and search for it. Well, um, it's too late this year to plant spring blooming bulbs and expect them to produce flowers. Um, You totally can. You just have to wait until uh, next spring for them to produce any sort of flowers. So how about instead, let's talk about summer and fall blooming bulbs, because those we definitely can plant now. Early spring in Central Texas is my favorite time of the year, and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, and squash, all from seed. True Leaf Market has been selling heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. They offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds, veggies, herbs, flowers, grains, cover crops, specialty seeds, and even sprouting and microgreen seeds. Whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or several pounds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code PLOWHOSE10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. Pretty much all types of lilies can be planted now for summer and fall blooms. There are lots of types of flowers that we call lilies, but aren't actually lilies. True lilies are true bulbs. I'm talking about Asiatic and Oriental lilies. These are from the Lilium genus, and these are the ones that have those really big trumpety flowers. They're the kind that are included in flower arrangements, Um, you know, like the really fragrant stargazer lilies and um, the orange and yellow Asiatic lilies that they include in flower arrangements. Those colorful lilies are really popular this time of year, and they are grown in pots Um, along with Easter lilies. So if you get one of these greenhouse grown lilies this spring, um, you can try to transplant it outside after the bloom fades. If you are interested in learning more about what to expect when you transplant um, these greenhouse lilies and Easter lilies outside, check out episode 62 from last year. I went into um, a lot more detail, um, especially about Easter lilies and what you can expect and um, from transplanting these greenhouse grown flowers into the yard. All right. Well, these lilium lilies are big and bold and they've got the large trumpet shaped flowers and they grow on tall stems that have leaves that um go all up and down the stem. Typically, these are harder to grow for us here in Central Texas, mainly because of the heat. The heat will force them into early dormancy 
before they have a chance to store food in their bulbs. They also prefer sandy and slightly acidic soil, and our soil type for pretty much Taylor and all of Central Texas uh, is pretty heavy clay, and it's alkaline. So if you want to grow these types of lilies, you really need to plan to amend your soil so that it is very well draining and it's more acidic. If you're at the store and you see these Asiatic and Oriental lilies for sale and you just, or you just like buy them off the internet and just plant them directly into our soil without amending it, they probably will grow. Um, just know that they might not do as well as you hoped and don't expect them to come back next year unless you know you inherited a really really good flower bed that was already amended anyway those are true lilies a little difficult for us here but there are lots of other summer and fall blooming plants that are called lilies but they're really good for us and we can be successful with them here in Central Texas. Daylilies day belong to the genus um, Hemerocallus, so they're, they're different than um, Lilium genus. And daylilies have tuberous roots, not bulbs. And, you know, it just depends on what kind that you get. Um, some are more plump and fleshy, and... Others are kind of stringy and look like little dirty mop heads. Daylilies grow in clumps and their leaves are grass-like blades. They send up a long stem with bold flowers um, that kind of grow in small clusters, but each blossom only lasts for one day, hence the name Daylily. Daylilies are really popular all over the world, like crazy popular. And people really get into hybridizing them to create new varieties. And there are so many varieties of daylilies out there. I mean, there's like more than 800, not 800, 82,000 types of daylilies in the American Daylily Society database. And those are just the ones that were selected to be in their database. 82,000. And that kind of blows my mind. It's insane, but in a good way. You can find daylilies sold in pots, but you can also buy root divisions. When you are looking for daylilies, look for ones that are considered consistent rebloomers. There are several that are commercially available um, and easily found at the box stores, but with just a little bit of online research, you can find a pretty wide variety out there. Um, the re repeat 
rebloomers are nice because you get a longer bloom cycle. Here in Central Texas, daylilies do best in raised beds, at least six inches above the ground. They like well-draining soil, so amend your bed with sand or decomposed granite. Lighter color blooms, interestingly, do best with six hours of direct sunlight. Darker colored blooms actually do better with light shade, so they can take less than six hours of sun. All day lilies do benefit from shade when the temperatures start to rise and get in the high 90s and above. So be sure to plant your day lilies where you know that they're going to have some afternoon sun because you know how our summers are here and everything benefits from afternoon sun. Spring in Central Texas is here, and if you're interested in growing some of your own produce or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought-tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees. So come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center, located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plowhouse on KVSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station, broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Also, head over to Amazon or Apple or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plowhouse Podcast if you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want. Download some episodes and be sure to leave a little review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading those Plowhouse episodes provides me with important statistics. So... We are here in Central Texas. I live in Taylor, where the scenery is pretty flat. Very agricultural looking because Taylor and the towns on this side of IH-35 have been farming communities for a very long time. Flat fields, very few trees, The other side of IH-35 is, has a different look. It's more hilly and has a different soil type. And the soil is thin (coughs) and rocky. And no matter where you live in Central Texas, our natural scenery isn't what you would describe as particularly tropical. But if you love that look and you want to create a mini tropical oasis, then you have got to add canna lilies to your landscape. 
cannas just scream tropical with their bright, brilliant flowers and their huge floppy leaves. They are really popular in Central Texas because despite our somewhat arid climate, cannas grow amazingly well here and they do not care about the heat at all and they actually thrive in it. Canna lilies are not true lilies. They are hugely popular and they come in a crazy amount of varieties, all sorts of colors, um, both the blossoms um, plus leaf color. Fully mature cannas range in sizes from two feet tall to over 10 feet tall. And even when they aren't blooming, cannas are so interesting in the garden. Tall cannas add vertical interest and structure. And some people plant cannas primarily for their foliage because they come in a range of colors, you know, all shades of green, kind of blue, greeny, gray, bronze, kind of brown and dark red, almost purple leaves, and all sorts of variegated varieties that are incredible. I'm really um, partial to the stripy leaves, the ones that have lime green and dark green together. The flowers um, are big and bold. The, The petals are big and floppy like irises, Um, but they're much more um, intensely colored and rich, and they come in colors, bright yellow, bright red, pink, orange, and I don't know, all of them are just so pretty. Cannas have rhizomes. Rhizomes are stems that grow just beneath the surface. Rhizomes grow horizontally and send out Um, buds that pop up through the soil near the mother plant. You can dig up these side plants and plant them elsewhere or dig them up and share them with somebody. Cannas do so well in our heat, they can really take it, but they do like their soil to stay moist. So you're going to need to water a little bit in the summer. Um, A generous layer of mulch around the cannas will help keep them moist and you won't have to water as much. Cannas tend to be heavier feeders. Um, They are big plants, so that's not really a big surprise there. Um, Compost and a little extra organic fertilizer will help keep them blooming Um, just, just choose a well-balanced organic fertilizer and that'll be perfect for them. Cannas are very, very easy to grow, but they do attract some pests, um, in particular snails, slugs, and canna leaf rollers. Canna leaf rollers are the caterpillars of small little brown skipper butterflies. These little butterflies lay their eggs on cannas. When the eggs hatch, the caterpillars um, produce silk threads that bind around new growth, and it keeps the leaves rolled up tightly. The caterpillars live inside the rolled up leaves and spend all of their time eating. 
the leaves, um, you know, they continue to grow and get bigger. And as they unfurl and kind of break those silk threads that kept them bound, um, they will have chew marks and holes. Um, a lot of times, um, the caterpillars will stay in one spot and just munch through um, that section of the leaf. And what happens is when the new leaf opens up, you'll notice it'll have uniform holes like all in a line. And it looks like somebody came through with like a hole punch and just did one hole after another right in a straight line. And that's an indication that you have had canna leaf roller caterpillars in your cannas. But caterpillars are easy to um, control. You can use um, organic product called BT, Bacillus thuringiensis. It's a bacteria that you mix up and you spray on your plants and it will kill the caterpillars. Other lily imposters belong to the amaryllis family. Amaryllis are tropical bulbs that are native to South Africa. They look a bit like a lily since they put out large trumpet-shaped flowers on tall stems, but their leaves are thick and strappy, but they don't come out until after the flower stalk pops up and starts to bloom. The ones that we can get at Christmas time and we force them to grow, um, they're grown inside. They are almost always the um, a tropical variety. These tropical ones prefer warm temperatures and they're pretty cold sensitive. It is possible to plant them outside in the springtime um, and get them to rebloom the next year, but it's not always easy because of their tropical nature. But you know, it's worth a try. If you get one at Christmas time, you can always try to keep it going inside and having it bloom inside um, again at Christmas. Or, you know, try to plant it out, outside. Either way, it's totally better than throwing them away. A more reliable way of growing these big, beautiful amaryllis and having the, getting them to return year after year is to get hardy amaryllis instead of the tropical kind. You have to look specifically for this type, um, and it can be a little confusing, but hardy amaryllis have more of a star shape, and they're kind of like have pointy blossoms, whereas tropical amaryllis have rounder petals. Here in Texas, we can easily grow hardy amaryllis. They're a little tricky to find. Local independent nurseries are more likely to carry them. They are usually available this time of year. Um, they bloom in the late spring. If you find some and you plant them this year, just know that they may not bloom, probably not going to bloom. So just be patient. They will bloom next spring. Try um, looking for St. Joseph's Lily if you're looking online. It's another name for hardy amaryllis. If you find that it's too difficult to 
locate those hardy amaryllis. Try searching for a different one, a different member of the amaryllis family. Look for spider lilies and naked lady lilies. These are part of the amaryllis family. And just like their big sisters, tropical and hardy amaryllis, they pop straight out of the ground, just the stem and then the blossom. Their leaves aren't prominent and sometimes they barely show at all until after the flowers fade. Both of these smaller plants are sometimes called surprise lilies because they just pop up un unexpectedly. And that's probably because they don't give any clue that they're going to send up any flower stems. And also probably because we forgot that we planted them and then months later, they're here. Like a surprise. Despite the name, naked lady lilies are very pretty and quite sophisticated looking. Many are um, a soft pink. Um, they also come in white. They are petite and dainty, but so striking because they have multiple blossoms on each stem. Botanically, they are called Amaryllis belladonna, and they are just so pretty, even if they are kind of naked. The other surprise lily that does really well here in Central Tex Texas also has a fun name, spider lilies. There are several of them, several varieties of spider lilies, and they are all in the Lycoris genus. Spider lilies are amazing looking. Just like naked ladies, they pop straight out of the ground and have clusters of flowers at the top. Uh, spider lilies come in a range of colors, um, pastels, but um, also bright colors. And I really love the red spider lilies. Spider lily flowers are really cool. Um, they look sort of like fireworks from a distance. Um, they look shredded. Um, up close, you will see that the petals are curved and curly, but their stamens give them that exploded firework look. Lycoris stamens are insanely long, and they stick out far beyond the petals. And these long stamens make them look like spider legs. The lycoris are so cool and a really fun addition to your garden. Well, all of these so-called lilies that I've been talking about pretty much come in all of the colors except for blue. If you like blue flowers like I do, then be sure to look for agapanthus to add to your garden. Agapanthus is native to South Africa. It's also known as lily of the Nile and sometimes African lily. Whatever you call it, agapanthus is as tough as it is beautiful. They are heat and drought tolerant and they're pretty stunning uh, because their flower heads look like sparklers. At the base, the leaves are dark green and strappy. Um, the leaves are evergreen and they're very hardy and they can tolerate temperatures down to 20 degrees. But when it gets below 20 degrees, those leaves will probably suffer some cold damage. 
agapanthus form um, mounds, kind of like daylilies. The flower stems are tall and they shoot up above the leaves by at least twice. They form pom-poms of soft blue flowers. The individual flowers are trumpety looking and they form a ball that sits at the top of the stem. Agapanthus also have rhizomes and they are so easy to divide. You can plant the divisions in other spots in your garden or share them with your friends. Agapanthus bloom in the late spring, but um, you can plant them now and in the following year you can divide them and divide them in the fall. Each clump grows to about two feet wide, so they're pretty large plants when they are fully mature. They aren't the type of plant that you can just tuck in anywhere. They need a bit of room, so you've got to consider their spacing needs when you um, plant them. Even though they are drought and heat tolerant, they do best when they get afternoon shade. Agapanthus, like all the plants mentioned today, they need well-draining soil. These plants do like to stay moist, so some extra compost in the hole plus a nice thick layer of mulch is going to help them maintain moist soil. There are a few different varieties. Some are shorter than the others. Um, They come in shades of blue, but also purple and white, and there's even a bicolor variety. My favorite is the blue because it's such a happy blue. They are flamboyant and charming, and they can take on different looks too though. If you pair them with white and pale pink flowers, they have like a soft, calming kind of effect, but they can turn very dramatic when paired with contrasting colors like yellow and orange flowers. That's all I have for you today. Thank you again for joining me. Um, The next show, we will officially be in spring, and I'm hoping that the weather finally starts to act like it. All right, have a great week, friends. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.